that seems like a good enough spot to cut in before everything starts falling down, kind of like this movie. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rattelichen Broadcasting Network uh, blockbuster review. You can't even call it summer anymore because it's hardly limited to that particular season. Uh, I'm Robert Winfrey, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, tonight, we're going to be reviewing the latest movie from Brad Bird. We're going to be talking about Disney's latest flop, Tomorrowland. Eh, flop's a bit harsh, but it's not exactly going to be making them uh, a lot of money. It stars, you know, George Clooney's chin, taking up a lot of screen time, and slightly more evil Dr. House. And that's how this one plays out, pretty much. Uh, we're going to have a full review of that. I'm going to go ahead and bring on my co-host, the overlord and supreme patriarch of the Radlich and Broadcasting Network, my linear boss, if we want to get technical about it, Mark Radlich. Mark, uh, Tomorrowland. Yay, right? Look, let me, let me go start with this. When you said flop, I kind of smirked, and I thought, no, flop right I mean, unless this thing does gangbusters, you know, uh, in foreign markets some, somehow. The budget on this thing was $190 million. Box office so far, 74.7. Is that just states or is that worldwide? I imagine that's worldwide, right? Um, according to Wikipedia... Tomorrow, uh, as of May 26, 2015, Tomorrowland, 70.7 million global bow. Okay. Yeah, they're in trouble. <laughs> this, this might be worse than The Lone Ranger. Uh, okay, they've still got it. They will at least do better than John Carter. So let's all be grateful for that. Um, all right, let's jump into this. Look I really hate, in large part, Jerry Bruckheimer, Johnny Depp, and everyone for their Pirates of the Caribbean franchise because it gave us stuff like this and Eddie Murphy's Haunted House. I mean, look, there's a Disneyland ride. People like those. Let's make a movie out of it. Well, we got something in, uh, you know, Disney World, Tomorrowland. We'll, we'll get George Clooney's Chen to star in it, and everything will be good, right? People like George Clooney. Let me let me be the groveling Disney apologist here. Go for um, it. <laughs> you are the CEO of a multinational corporation that is in the business of entertainment. You own theme parks. You own um, multimedia properties. The idea is to maximize your dollars with the properties you own. And part of that is finding synchronicity with, th with things like your theme park. So, in other words, as you just mentioned, you have a ride. You have a ride that's maybe fading in popularity because it's not exactly a big thrill-a-minute ride, like Pirates of the Caribbean. If you've ever been on it, kind of drab, kind of boring, smells kind of funky. Both that and It's a Small World. I don't know what's going on with the water on that ride, but they both stink. Anywho... So if you're the CEO of a multinational corporation who's, uh, who, who owns a bunch of entertainment properties, you're going to think, well, how can we maximize our parks? How can we utilize our park properties to find uh, other pockets of revenue? Well, here's one way to do it. Take your rides and make them into major motion picture features. And it worked with Pirates of the Caribbean. It not only worked, it spawned the franchise that has made, and I'm not talking quality here, I'm talking dollars and cents, 
the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise not only reinvigorated the ride itself, because I tell you, I live in Florida, and after Pirates of the Caribbean, not only did the ride get exponentially popular, especially after they threw in Johnny Depp, you know, in there. Uh, Those animatronic now, Johnny Depps are better than Johnny Depp. I'll just throw that out there. That, that's fine. Um, but you can now, not only is there the bibbidi-bobbidi-boo experience, but you can also be made into a pirate, like you can be made into a princess. There, there's pirate stuff all over that part of the park now, in large part because, uh, in whole part really, because of Pirates of the Caribbean and the success of the movie. So why wouldn't you keep doing that? So the, well, you know, because your next is, three flopped. Well, <laughs> if the, if, if, here's the thing. They have reinvigorated already Fantasyland by adding new, uh, at least into the Florida part. They've, you know, they've added a, new, a restaurant that you can't get into unless you're haunting the Disney reservation site six months in advance. No, that's not even a fucking joke, folks. If you are trying to get a reservation at Be Our Guest at a normal eating, a normal human eating time, you have to be on the web, the reservation website, six months in advance to the day you're planning on eating there. Or you can wait on the three-hour-long uh, line to get into the place. So there's that. There's the new Snow White roller coaster. Fantasyland has been completely redone and reinvigorated, and everyone loves to go there. The Forgotten Park, the park no one cares about anymore, uh, is Tomorrowland. So again, if you're the CEO of Disney and you're looking around at your park and going, what needs reinvigoration? What needs renewed interest? I mean... The big attraction at Tomorrowland, aside from uh, Buzz Lightyear, the, 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 the shooting game, uh, the shooting ride, rather, is the Carousel of Progress, which hasn't been updated in like 50 years. <laughs> okay? So why not take the concept of the Carousel of Progress and try to make a movie out of it? And so I defend what they did here, at least what they attempted to do in reinvigorating Tomorrowland and getting and renewing interest in it and taking that and taking the park part of the concept and you know and extrapolating from that a, a movie experience people might enjoy it didn't work all the way and i guess we'll talk about that but i i applaud them for at least trying i will now take disney's penis directly out of my mouth so what i'm hearing is we're going to see in the next three years a major motion picture starring what shia labeouf Chloe Grace Moretz and Elle Fanning about It's a Small World? Um, the small, It's a Small World still has long lines. Excuse me. Probably shouldn't eat during a podcast. Uh, no, It's a Small World is in Fantasyland, and that's still just... You know what also you can never get on anymore? Peter Pan. Well, I was hoping that's just because it sucks and everyone realized it. No, Peter, Peter Pan, always a three-hour-long line. If, but if you've dialed into the Disney Experience podcast, let, let me be your guide and tell you that if you're, going to, if you're going to get fast passes, get fast pass Peter Pan or you're never getting on that ride. Robert? Yeah, duly noted. All right, let's get on to this actual movie. Um, God. I have a big rant that I want to throw out at the end of this thing, but I want to do the objective stuff first uh, because I don't want to, I don't want my rant, my personal feelings to cloud my objectivity as far as this goes. So, speaking subjectively, um, this is a 
Let me start with this. I don't like movies set up as flashbacks at all, and that's what we get here. The entire movie is a flashback, uh, told alternately by George Clooney and uh, the other chick, whatever her name is, uh, Britt Robertson. Now, I don't like that for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's kind of a cheap way to get to insert for you to just stick narration where you want it, and the other is that it removes all drama. There's no about drama if, about George. What, what about if your narrator? What about if your narrator is faced is faced down in a puddle dead? Look, it's a Disney movie. Let's not be. Again, I know there are movies that have done that, but by and large, it doesn't happen. I was actually referring to Sunset Boulevard, but sure. Again, I know that it happens. I mean, come on, what's his bucket spent, you know, the final season of Oz narrating it from a wheelchair after he died the season prior? I mean, it happens. Yeah, Let's just not pretend that it's going to happen in a Disney movie. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think it's lazy, and I think it takes a lot of the dramatic tension because you already know they live. I'm just saying I would tell you that it does work at times. It It can be interesting if used properly. If written well and directed well, yes, it can be effective. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite jokes about that actually came out of the first Kick-Ass movie, where he is sitting, he's sitting there uh, near the end of it, he and uh, Nicolas Cage getting the crap beat out of him because they deserve it. It's Nicolas Cage. And he, you get a cutaway, and he's been, uh, the main character's been narrating the whole time, and he goes, and if you think I'm going to survive just because you're hearing me narrate, don't be a dick. Come on, it didn't work. And he proceeds to list, like, two movies where the narrator is actually dead, so just go along with the ride. Uh, all right, so we get that set up, and we're immediately introduced to George Clooney and his depressed chin. Uh, you're going to hear me joke about that a lot, because... I don't know what it was about this movie, but that was all I could stare at, was George Clooney's chin. Uh, I've never had that come up in any other George Clooney movie I've ever seen, but in this one, it's like, he must have the jawline to rival Jay Leno. I, I don't understand I why, but... You, well, you've been making this joke now for a few weeks, and I swear to God, I didn't notice him. Like, I was looking for it, and to me, he just looked like grumpy old man. I don't know. Maybe it was just me, then, and I'll uh, cut down on that particular joke. Uh, so we get George Clooney's chin and annoyingly perky blonde girl. Oh, and that. <laughs> hang on, ignore. Oh, come on, ignoring my grumpy, you know, simplification there. Perky blonde girl, yes. She was perky and punctual. Yes. All right. Uh, we're introduced to, first of all, a flashback told by George Clooney about how he finds Tomorrowland this fantastical alternate dimension where all the best and brightest people in the world get to come together and make whatever they want as long as they're crazy enough to do it. And every gamer worth their salt immediately sighed and went, why aren't you underwater and more dystopian? And that includes <laughs> me, by the way. Hey, we can't get a Bioshock movie to save our lives that's worth anything, but boy, we can sure do this. Same basic setup, not nearly as good. Uh, he gets in there because he has a mostly functioning jetpack. Uh, a robot in Tomorrowland fixes it so it works properly. We're introduced to disturbing child robot Athena and grumpy Dr. House. And I say grumpy Dr. House because that's all it is. They caught Hugh Laurie for this role and said, 
be Dr. House without the limp. And he went, sure, I'll take your money, for I am evil and British. Uh, we then cut to, again, uh, Britt Robertson's character, who is actively sabotaging government property for no reason other than, when I don't like change and I don't want my dad to be out of a job. That's... Oh. <laughs> what? Get on with your stupid plot synopsis. No, no, go ahead. Interrupt me here. It's okay. I, I know where I am. I can get back. Okay, okay. But that, I don't think that's fair. I, first of all, you're doing this whole thing like, then this happened and it sucked. And that thing happened. Okay, and it okay. Sucked. I apologize for being overly down, but I will attempt to adjust my perspective. Our introduction to this character is one committing vandalism at a site where they're trying to dismantle Cape Canaveral because her father works for NASA and she really doesn't want him to lose his job and she's trying to be proactive about it. This is further reinforced when she, through a couple of clips at school, when she tries to ask all of her doom and gloom teachers, okay, what are we doing to fix all of these problems? Which is a fair question for two of the teachers, not the one she actually asks it to, because asking an English teacher how you fix the human condition is just silly. During her nighttime raids of the construction site, uh, she is viewed uh, she, Athena, again, same age, disturbing child robot, sees her, gives her one of these pins that lets her glimpse Tomorrowland. It's basically a commercial. She tries to find out more about it because she saw a wonderful vision of, you know, the future or this alternate dimension, and she wants to know more about it. She runs into more robots in a small town in Texas, uh, where she actually meets Athena, who saves her from the evil robots who run a... I can't even call it a game store. It's just a nerd store. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. I'm a bit of a nerd myself, so but it, it's a nerd store. Uh, she saves her... Again, Athena, child robot, saves Britt Robertson from these robots, sets her to find George Clooney. Uh, in upstate New York, there's no concept of actual time and distance in some of these sequences, by the way. That, that bothered me. Uh, but she meets George Clooney. She is then ambushed by more robots. Clooney does a very poor job of explaining things. Uh, robots find, show up to try and capture her and Athena, because apparently they're now fugitives from evil Dr. House. Again, another point never really explained. They escape, try to get back into Tomorrowland, do so courtesy of a giant rocket hidden under the Eiffel Tower. And for some reason, that's not as stupid as it sounds. It really isn't. Uh, they get into Tomorrowland. We discover that uh, the world is going to end in 58 days. Hugh Laurie knows this because they have discovered how to harness the power of tachyons, which are theoretical particles as far as we're concerned, theoretical particles that actually travel so fast they move backwards through time. So they know the future. They know the world's going to end. And apparently through the power of sheer perkiness and positivity, Britt Robertson is the only human being on the planet capable of potentially altering our inevitable destruction. They fight with Hugh Laurie over this because he's still very depressed about it and wants to just let the world end and ride out the apocalypse in their alternate dimension. Eventually, they blow up this giant tower of negativity, and the world survives. It's supposed to its theoretical expiration date, and we end the movie with them sending out people to return invitations to Tomorrowland. Did I miss anything? The entire heart and soul of the movie, but yes, you got it all. 
We can, it's a plot synopsis. We can discuss the heart and soul in a minute or two here, and I will probably agree with most of what you have to say. So again, you you know you're a happy person, Mark, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm not. I'm, Look, I'm, I'm not. So I'm, I was one of the most cynical people in my high school. So the irony of of being around you and the, and the other guys involved with the casual heroes and the Rattles Broadcasting Network and being considered the happy one is hysterical to me. Yeah, it it really is. And not to tell you something about our society at large and our little microcosm <laughs> here on the Rattles and Broadcasting Network. Uh, no, I mean, just you're right. I did skip over kind of the you know emotional crux of the argument here, which is this is a movie that has a positive outlook on the future. We have a protagonist who wants to change things. She's not succumbing to doom and gloom and negativity and nihilism and inevitability and all of those other things that are thrown around. She very much wants to change things. You you missed a critical element of her character that's established right at the beginning. When she's talking to her brother about why she's not just sabotaging the NASA deconstruction, uh, the space shuttle platform, just so her dad still has a job that certainly is informing her decision-making. She says to him, I think, some people are just afraid of ideas. You know, the idea that we can, I mean, when you think about what, what the, the first mission to, uh, to space was, when Kennedy said, you know, in X amount of years, I want a man on the moon, what that meant to society, what that meant to, I mean, that, that was, it was inspiring. Oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. So you're saying is she's a much more dumb version of Matthew McConaughey's character in Interstellar? I didn't see Interstellar. I, from what I understand, oh, it's about a, from what I understand, it's about a space bookshelf and a girl named Merv. Ah, uh, watch the movie. I, I, I can't even make a bunch of my comparisons now because you don't have the proper frame of reference for this. But so anyway. Uh, well, again, I feel like if you want to talk about humanity's lack of inspiration or lack of forward thinking, I got that speech done in a much better way from Christopher Nolan than Brad Bird can do here. Well, I didn't see the movie about the space bookshelf, so all I got here is Tomorrowland, and that's what the movie that we're reviewing right now. And in that know, movie, I... we, <laughs> we have somebody... Look, inspiration actually you know, plays a huge role in this movie, because you, when you think about George Clooney as a child... When, he, when Hugh Laurie says, your jetpack doesn't work, therefore it is not an invention, he says, no, but it might inspire other people. That's what we're talking about here. We're talk- the movie is as much about hope as it is about inspiration, and that is embodied in our hero character, Cassidy. And, I, and, I, and it's not something I think should be overlooked. I think that's one of the, that's one of the truly refreshing things about this movie. No, I agree. I mean, again, you have here you have someone, you know, normally when you get these movies about it's not about trying to save a better future, it's about trying to prevent a worse one. And here we get a you know, an underlying current of trying to preserve something better instead of trying to simply avert something terrible. And you know, you get a bunch of the same actions, but the underlying tone and the underlying message is very different from those different perspectives. And it is very nice. Unfortunately, Cassidy becomes a non-factor as the movie progresses. I mean, she doesn't do anything. 
Okay, uh, let, let, let's get into the heart and soul, the, the, the nuts and bolts of this movie. It is essentially a movie about an idea. And the idea is that the future doesn't have to be bleak. It doesn't have to end in war and tragedy and flooding and, and everything else. We don't have to fully embrace the apocalypse the way that we are uh, presently doing in the eyes of many. So they set out so – so here's the thing. If you and I were to sit down and write a screenplay about an idea, about a philosophy, you still have to come up with a story that drives it. And I think that's ultimately the biggest flaw of this movie was they tried their best to incorporate a philosophy into a plot and wrote themselves into a corner. I mean, on the one it hand, doesn't help I the philosophy they tried to they tried to base it around was objectivism by uh, primarily purported by Ayn Rand and has largely been debunked and refuted by anyone with a fully functioning brain. Well, I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, hope. But sure, <laughs> that too. Um, no, I, I, I think I think there's room to criticize the craft of the movie. You know, in terms of they wrote themselves. I, I okay. Let, let me go back. My biggest qualm, my, my biggest problem with the movie is that you're led to believe you're going to see a movie about an alternate place where anything is possible. And you spend at least 75% of the movie trying to get to that place. And then when you finally get to Oz, Oz has been, you know, overrun by the winged monkeys and the wicked witch. And so it's like, when did we, you know, and, and, and George Clooney, actually, his character sums it up really well. He's like, you didn't see a real place. You saw an invitation to a party that never happened. Yeah. And... I walked away from the movie feeling dissatisfied about that aspect of it. Is that if you're going to make a movie called Tomorrowland, then fucking show me Tomorrowland. It, I mean, it's essentially like a 90-minute setup. <laughs> and then by the time the setup is over, you're into the third act. So really what you have is an action-adventure chase movie um, with some, with with some ideas that, man, about how with nothing people explained. Can, about how people that they, killed me throughout this movie. It's like, well, they built something they shouldn't have. That gets explained about halfway through the entire movie as the underlying plot is, well, somebody over there where they can build whatever they want built something they shouldn't have. Okay, are you going to be this vague for the rest of the movie? Or, you know, what's going on? No, they were that vague. George Clooney, who helped build the darn thing, never discusses what it is. Just... I mean, it's this whole chase to get to Tomorrowland, and the only driving factor there is everyone keeps telling you that Cassidy is special, and that's it. Oh, well, she she's special. special. She's special, and people have been, people in reviews have been like, "Oh, she's special. She's you know, she, you're told she's special. She's special, and then you never. It's never." really shown why. I thought it was pretty obvious why. You know, in a world full of people who have lost hope, she retains, you know, she retains hers uh, tried and true. You know, that got set up right at the beginning of the movie. I'm not entirely sure what people thought they were missing here. And I'm sorry, that is special. When you consider the amount of people who don't care about the, you know, about the damage being done to the planet or about... <laughs> Here's an example of something I thought was really funny. Um, it kind of it speaks to what I'm talking about. Do you remember the African warlord 
and uh, that everyone was was reposting on on Facebook. Vaguely, you yeah. remember this when that was a thing for five minutes, and then no one bothered actually doing anything about it because boy, we did sure reshare that on Facebook, and that actually made a difference in a country where eighty-five percent of it doesn't have internet or clean water or, you know, roads. <laughs> right. So I mean. When you know when you're talking about a world full of people who either are disengaged, disenfranchised, just don't give a hoot, or their activism only goes as far as their internet connection, here you have a person who wasn't just talking it; she was doing it. And you know, and and if you look at like the, it's a fun, it's a fun little montage right at the beginning of the movie where she's in school, and you know, and she keeps raising her hand, and no one will call on her. Like, no one wants to be bothered. So that does make her special. And I think it does speak to the, you know, collective personality of at least this country, where many of us are, 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 are just tuned out. And, I'm, and look, I'll be the first one to tell you all I care about is my kids. <laughs> I'm not as socially engaged as I should be. Um, so she spoke to me and not in the sense that I should, like, I'm ashamed of myself, but she was like, you know what? She's ideally who I'd like to be. If I were a better person, I'd be her. So that does make her special. Yeah. If you say so. (laughs) I don't know. I know people like her though. And then that's, I don't know, maybe this is geographically an issue you know, people on the East Coast over there are much more disin, you know, disinterested and disconnected than the people where I live, and that's not an insult, that's simply a notation. But I knew plenty of people, still do, who have, you know, are like her as far as the outlook and whatnot, and I don't, so consequently, as far as ratios go, and it's not special to me. Which might well, just be... Are, are they actually out there, like, not only talking it, but actually doing it, they're actually physically engaged in social change? Uh, not all of them, but enough for me to, you know, actually consider it. Okay. I mean, again, and I'm again sure, I wouldn't and I'm sure. bring that up if it was just hot air. Uh, uh, so and there are probably, you know, I'm sure that if there were people, you know, call, that call into this show, they would say, hey, you know, I'm out there doing this, that, and the other thing, please don't. Not that kind of show. But I'm sure people listening to this are, are saying, hey, you know, I, I talk the talk and walk the walk, and that's great. You two are special. Just you're also vastly outnumbered. No, you're vastly outnumbered. Um, let, let, let's get back to the movie at hand. That is my biggest problem with this movie, is that instead of focusing the movie on Tomorrowland, which is what we all paid our money to go see, we wanted to see the city of tomorrow. We wanted to see a city free of the red tape and bureaucracy of real life. And when they came up with, you know, with the, with the MacGuffin, with the, the thing that the, the thing that should not be, it it was basically it was the most non-inventive, non-creative thing they could have possibly come up with. Like I like when I heard like oh my god the greatest the greatest minds the biggest the best thinkers of the world created something that shouldn't have the first thing that I think of is the atomic bomb. You know what I mean? Like oh, okay. there's the, so the, many things you can play around with. You know, again, you have variations of the nuclear bomb. You have oh look they found a way to recombine genetics so that we can do things. 
but it you know, is horribly disfigured. Again, look, I can't help but point out that Tomorrowland and Rapture from Bioshock are the same darn principle. So again, I have seen visions of this where the thing they create is a whole lot worse than, oh, look, I can see a possible future courtesy of harnessing this particular physical particle. But I think more than that, you know, if the lesson in this movie was supposed to be you have to have, sometimes you have to have restraint, you know, or, or you know, if people, you know, creative people left to their own devices will just create things and end up, you know, Tony Stark, okay? Tony Stark is a great example of, I thought, what they were trying to get at with Tomorrowland, which is somebody who doesn't think about the consequences of what he's creating, he just creates. You know, he's a mad artist, he's a mad genius. And then he creates things like Ultron, you know, and just doesn't think about the consequences. Um, to a lesser extent, you know, Bruce Banner, and you know, just sort of, you know, creating and taking chances, and then you know, he creates a monster. Um, and so I was really anxious to see when when Athena says, you know, they created something that they shouldn't have. I'm thinking like they wrecked Tomorrowland, like they just like you know they went crazy, they, they invented they this blew thing it that up. shouldn't have, and now it's not really yet, there. Right, and, and how, right, uh, there is no Tomorrowland to go back to. Like, I could have accepted that you were invited to, you know, that you got an invitation to a party that, that got canceled because we destroyed the place, you know, or it's at war with itself, or it's on, you know, it's, an, it's, inha- it's uninhabitable. But, you know, to say, like, oh, we, we created this crystal ball, basically. And, uh, you know, we created this crystal ball, and then we implanted the idea that if you don't make changes, you're going to destroy the world. And everyone went, yeah, man, rock on. And so I just said, screw you people, I'm going home. And locking the door. And nobody new can get in now. Like, that was lame. And I, I, I've been reading reviews where apparently the, the writer of this thing, um, uh, Damon Lindelof, apparently is known for some shit stories. Yeah. Uh, again, that's my biggest gripe. You know, the whole action chase sequence that gets you into Tomorrowland is by and large fine. I mean, again, the fact that they just ignore geography almost entirely for a bunch of their scenes, just, I mean, it drives me nuts personally because they're living in Cape Canaveral, which is in Florida, which is where they actually launch rockets from. Uh, Cassidy rather blissfully hops buses to Texas. Now, that's a hefty chunk of time to get to... Hang on, hang on. Hang on. I gotta gotta read this to you. So this guy, Lindelhoff, I see this is is where I'm a little fuzzy with with my movie reviews because I don't necessarily research a lot of the production people, but he was a screenwriter that gave us us, uh, Cowboys and Aliens, Prometheus, and Star Trek Into Darkness and World War Z. Well, that fucking explains a lot. Well, two of those didn't suck. It makes me wonder who he was collaborating with on those two. <laughs> Prometheus was a god awful mess. Oh, and I don't think Cowboys buy it. Prometheus has suck. problems. Don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't call it a mess. And I actually very much enjoy World War Z. So. I didn't see World War Z. But we all know how I feel yeah. about Star Trek Into Darkness. It's crap. Yes, it is. All right, you were saying? Uh, Anyway, I was saying again, they ignore geography because uh, the concept of time has no meaning in this movie. 
you know, again, she hops buses to get from Cape Canaveral in Florida to Houston, Texas. That's a chunk of distance. Again, significant. After being saved from robots who give us a few half-assed plot points, she has been driven by little girl robot to Wait, George Clooney, who lives in... It's like Sorry, go ahead. Some shit. Can we just talk about that for a second? So, okay. Yeah, sure. So, so George Clooney, as a kid, creates this crystal ball... Um, that 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 they use to tell people the world is going to end if they don't make changes, and then it, and then no one does anything about it. So he's banished. Oh, that made right? no sense. Like their their excuse well, was he took hope away from people. Like, what the? But f- like it got even worse. That got, it, it gets even worse after that. So they not only banish him, but now he's such a problem they're willing to kill people over it. And then and that's the thing like. I got very fixated on the message of the movie and the, and the idea behind it, but if you take that out of the movie and it's just like, does this thing does this thing really work? No, the movie has humongous problems. But, but the fact that they're murdering people in cold blood and they're willing to like murder this girl over, you know, o- over this machine that he created, or no, oh, no, sorry, they're willing to murder her because they don't want her to come to Tomorrowland because he just wants to see all of humanity get wiped off the face of the earth. I mean, it, it, by the time they had revealed what the villain's plot, what the villain's motivations were, the whole thing got so out of hand and stupid, I was like, huh, well, this was a big letdown. Which is a royal shame, like, because I love Hugh Laurie's uh, you know, evil monologue about what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, oh, you got a glimpse of the horrible future. Well... What would you do? He's talking to Cassidy here. Let, let's pretend this happened to you. What do you do? Who do you go to? Do you, do you go to politicians? You know, businessmen? They don't care. What are you going to do? Well, okay, we tell people. Well, here we have, you know, fantastical technologies. I came up with a way to broadcast this horrible future to the world to let them all know, hey, here's your inevitable doom. Change it, please. And nobody cared. They decided that, no, we like that idea because it's easy. And he threw up his hands at that point and went, fine, you all deserve it. Like, and I, you know, again, it's hard to argue with him. Well, I, I get his frustration. I, <laughs> I live it every day. Um, I, I absolutely understand where he was coming from, where that's concerned. Not enough of a reason to kill George Clooney and Cassidy. It's just not. No, I mean, again, I'll I'll grant you that. Once they revealed, you know, what the issue was in Tomorrowland, it's like, wait, you have robots going around killing police officers, French dudes at the Eiffel Tower, so on and so forth, for no discernible reason other than, well, they've vaguely been exposed to the idea of Tomorrowland. I mean, he says it himself, you know, normally you just, you know, launched a rocket out from under the Eiffel Tower that then triggered an EMP that wiped out all of Paris. Never mind that that sequence of events in and of itself would likely trigger nuclear responses from half of the nuclear powers on the planet. Because that's precisely (laughs) what that looks like. They would at least be calling France going, you want to explain the rocket that just took off from your space needle? At the very least. I mean, and again, you've got some crazy, again, then, you know, Kim Jong-un hears about it and he's like, nope, the world. 
because he's crazy <laughs> anyway. Oh. They don't have a or Putin model. decides, eh, why not? I don't. I look. If, if, if suddenly a rocket launch launched from France, unless it actually detonated on the planet and caused massive destruction, I think people would be nervous <laughs> and phone calls would have to be made. But I don't think you. I don't think it would trigger World War Three. Um, by the same token, again, to a rational person, no. But the, we do not have rational leaders in charge of all of these devices. Let's just be realistic <laughs> about that. Um, but I mean, again, but, but anyway, the point I was getting to is after that, this, you know, massive event, Hugh Laurie said, well, normally we'd try to tell people it's a hoax, but you're all going to be dead in less than 60 days. So who cares? Yet you've got robots running around murdering people for being exposed to things of exponentially less, you know, value than giant rocket flies out of Paris. Yeah, it's the just, internal the, the logic falls apart. I mean, most of the criticisms of this movie have used the word uneven, and I would say if I had to if I had to sum it up in one word, that's what it is. The plot is uneven. The 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 uh, the pacing is uneven. The the stakes are uneven. You know, and then let, let us assume at this point you you somehow buy that it's okay to go around murdering people in cold blood because Frank invented a fortune telling machine. Okay, fine. Right. Uh, let us assume it's okay to kill people in cold blood because they're all going to be dead anyway in 60 days and suddenly life is meaningless. Okay, I'm with you so far. So how are you going to end it? What, what's your plan here? Well, it's funny because my dad and I talk a lot, an awful lot about the Terminator world and how you know Skynet became self-aware and Skynet decided, much like Ultron, that the way to uh, keep peace among humans is to murder them all. And my father said, didn't anyone ever thought, think to unplug Skynet? And that was, <laughs> and that was kind of my thought through, you know, as the movie was winding down and what we got was your, you know, stock action sequence, basically. You know, you're, everyone's fighting Poorly and punching one. stock action sequence, by the way. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it was one of those where, you know, it's like, well, we don't know how to end this thing. We'll have everyone punch each other and we'll, you know, we'll blow stuff up. And, you know, and people like that sort of thing. Uh, and then George so, Clooney can look longingly at a child robot and then, you know, blow her up. All I saw was him as a child looking back at his childhood sweetheart. Okay? I know. They, look, again, I was prepared for that whole thing to be very creepy, and it wasn't. So, again, kudos. You know, again, I mock George Clooney from time to time, but the man's certainly a competent enough actor to differentiate between creepy pedophile and, you know, nostalgic tragedy. We will not have that sort of talk on this podcast, sir. He was, it, was, it was perfectly fine. I just said it was. Okay. Don't you insinuate that there was any sort of molestation going on there. Um, but, yeah, I, it's, so the whole thing just sort of breaks down. And so the point that I was getting to was, it was like, you know, and she even says, she's like, why don't you just turn it off? And then they gave you a third wheel on, like, I'm assuming your knowledge of tachyon particles is sketchy at best. So I'm thinking, okay, Actually, the throwaway line from why is it, why don't you just turn it off is because he's the one broadcasting it, so he doesn't want to. But, even, but he even says, but he, he does say, like, you can't just turn it off. Even if I wanted to, you can't just turn He can turn off the signal, but he can't turn the machine off because of, yeah. you know, tachyon particles, science gibberish, et cetera, et cetera. Here's hey, my look, problem with that. Shut up and go along with it. 
Okay, but here's my problem with that. They're not consistent in their own universe because then no, blowing no, no, up wouldn't have... I imagine that's the discussion the writers had at that point. Was, <laughs> well, okay, we're trying to figure out why. Uh, we'll throw Technobabble and people will go along with it. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Technobabble, shut up and do it. Um, yeah. But like I said, they were inconsistent in their own universe because what is the difference between turning it off and blowing it up? At the end of the day, you get the same result. It's still off. Yeah. So if turning it off would have somehow done something to the tachyon particles where things would have gone to fluey, then things yeah, should have again, gone all he had to fluey. He could have just said, you know, shutting it off creates a cascading effect within the tachyon particles that could potentially wipe out Tomorrowland. No, I can't turn it off. I'm not risking this world for years that I know is going to die. Okay. At which point, then though, you then have to do something else besides blow it up. But that's that's my point. Like, like to me, the movie should have ended with Cassidy using her mutant powers of hope to grab the machine and project, you know, and project this idea of we can make oh, it better. I would have thrown something at the screen, but it would have made more sense. Okay, Okay. I'm not saying it would have been good, but it would have been better than the ending that we no, got. No, no, no. Uh, again, here's my thing. Personally, I would have thrown something at the screen if they went <laughs> okay. with that ending because it would have bothered me. It would have been like the culmination of my personal issues with this movie, but it would have made more internal sense. For You know, you, okay. hear, you have this special girl whose power is hope, and she doesn't do anything with it. Right. You know, and it would have made more sense for her to, you know, be able to alter the broadcast than it did for them to blow it up. Right. You're absolutely right. And and I think that's ultimately where where the movie fails is the is well the, the idea is strong the the the, the 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 story that carries the ideas forward is just weak. Cuz like like I said if you strip if you strip the philosophy out of this movie, right? First of all, I don't even think I would have gone to see it. You know what I mean? Like, if this wasn't supposed to be, you know, about Tomorrowland, and it was just, you know, and they just named it, you know, I don't know, Girl with a View. <laughs> you know, and it's just the, the further adventures of this crazy girl, you know, um, I, I mean, I, I don't, I would have been bothered. Especially with the way that, with, with the way that it ends, because it was almost as if they were like, as if they said, look, you know, Disney hired us to write a movie about a, about a theme park ride, and then they proceeded to not put any effort into it. But boy, yeah, did it look pretty. All right. All right. I want to hear what your – this is actually a nice place to transition into. What is your major malfunction, Robert Winfrey? What is your, per, what is your deep-seated personal issue with hope and change? My deep-seated issue is not with hope and change. Uh, first of all, again, you want to get into my philosophy of – Again, changes and then changes and inevitability of human existence. Hope is extraordinarily important. You want to know my big gripe with this, and let me say first of all, all of my, you know, objectivity has to go out the window for this. Again, I've said my piece about the movie, you know, both the good and the bad. It looks good. It's refreshing to see a hopeful take on the future. Blah blah blah. You've heard my complaints about it objectively. Narrative issues. Uh, you know, framing of action sequences, sp spots of aggravatingly annoying CGI, so on and so forth. You know, again, blah blah blah. Here's my here's my big personal gripe, and I have to apologize for the rant that's about to follow everyone. So, I, I have suffered from severe depression for well over a decade. 
Yeah, I started dealing with this when I was 13, 14. And, you know, it's... What bothers me most, personally, is that at the end of this movie, it seems like I... I was another I was a teenager again and every person around me who had no clue how to help me was just saying, "Oh, you've got to think positive." Oh, you, your outlook is completely deter- you can just think positive. You can choose to be a happy person. There's nothing wrong with your brain. You don't have a chemical imbalance. It's not going to take years of three different therapists and then balancing medication and then all the collateral fallout from all of that. No, it was evil Hugh Laurie with an antenna, and we blew it up. Look, let me speak on behalf of everyone who has ever suffered from you know, depression, mental illness of that variety, for more than a period of 48 hours. If it was as easy as telling our neurons to throw a switch or killing evil Dr. House and his transmitter of doom, we all would have done it. And it really, it, it, again, it was the most frustrating pissed off time of my life because everyone around me could only tell me think positive and now i've got perky blonde girl and george clooney's chin telling me boy you really just do need to think positive and hey by the way it's all hugh laurie's fault and that really really pisses me off and i'm well aware it's nothing but my personal experiences but that's how i came away from that it came away just feeling again like you're a bunch of frickin' idiots speaking down to people who have serious issues. And you're doing it for the sake of, boy, howdy, sure, we sure do want to, you know, make a hopeful movie. And it, again, that's just me. And I know it, and that's why I was, you know, had to really sit down and separate my emotional reaction to you should be a positive person from, okay, what are the issues with the actual movie? But that's, that's my gripe. That's just where I stand on that. And it really, it, it really bothered me. Really, I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised that was your take on this. I, I sympathize with your history of mental, uh, for lack of a better phrase, mental illness. Sorry. I, it's okay. You I can have call to, it that. It, well, it's what it is. Um, I, just, I know that I denote something that I'm not trying to denote. Um, but I'm speaking, I have to putting on my clinical social worker hat now for a moment. I get why the movie might have affected you that way, but I don't think that's what the message of the movie was saying at all um, in terms of dealing with people with clinical depression. I don't think it spoke down to those people. I don't think... It was saying that dep- the clinical depression is something that you just have to sort of, you know, uh, happy thought your way through. I think it spoke to the psyche of, ex- you know, uh, the the psyche of <clears throat> accepting. Oh no, the fact that you know normal people have a more depressed outlook on life, and that's not but at I, all I the same thing. <laughs> I should not eat hamburger while trying to do a podcast. Um, but I don't sorry, think no that... <laughs> no, I see the numbers. Yes, they do. Um, I don't think the movie spoke to that, though. It, 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 oh, it, no. Like, and again, 
object. That's why I didn't bring any of that up when we were discussing the movie itself, because I don't think it does. I don't think it's trying to. Again, that's my that was my experience with it, okay. and I am well it's, aware it's, that it was irrational by and large. Okay, and that's fine, and, and, and I'm not criticizing you, and I'm certainly not not trying to minimize your feelings. You're entitled to them. I just wanted to be clear. I think when, when I think if anyone from who put this movie together were to hear you say that, they're like, no, sir, we were not giving a treatise on clinical depression in any way, shape, or form, and nor do we feel like thinking positive is the way to handle it. Um, um, but oh, no, I, I, how- I don't imagine that was their intention at all. That was, and, and again, everyone, and I'm not speaking for everyone about how they walked away from that movie, because again, you know, everyone's depression, everyone's mental illnesses and whatnot are different. Their experiences are different. That was just, and that's why I very much wanted to separate my mini rant from anything objective about the movie, because I don't want it, I didn't want it to color it. You know, again, I am fully aware that my emotional reaction to this was not the most warranted, not the most logical thing, and I might very well be the only person who has seen this movie from the, you know, few thousand of you that have, that walked away like that, and I'm okay. You know, again, I just... Look, movie, movies tweak nipples in different ways, you know. Um, <clears throat> you know, they make you feel things sometimes unintentionally. So, and, and that's that's perfectly fine. I just, you know, I didn't want to... I didn't want you to just say it and let let it hang in the air and not react to it I, because I thought you know you opening up that way on this podcast was was an important thing um, and I and I didn't just want it to sit there. I do want to talk about this if, if there's nothing more on this particular subject. Um, <clears throat> and we talked about it we talked about it on on my Facebook page. I post there's an article in the Variety magazine about how uh, <clears throat> let's see if I can find it again, but essentially. That people don't that, that 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 Tomorrowland presents us with the problem of people not going to, not supporting original ideas in the movies. I mean, this was almost a two hundred million dollar picture, and it's made a quarter of that so far. Um, and that speaks to the and you know, meanwhile, the Age of Ultron, which is the second Avengers movie, and I think the eleventh in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, and yet another movie based on a comic book made exponentially, you know, made like a billion dollars so far. You know, Mad Max 4 made tons of money. Pitch Perfect made tons of money. You know, so you have all these sequels or movies based on other properties making money. People, you know, this is what's attracting people to the movies. But an original idea. Now, I'm not speaking to the quality of the picture. I'm saying... They went out and did an original idea. I, I count the, even though I don't care that it was based on a theme park uh, ride or you know a theme park area, this would be more accurate. <clears throat> it's still an original idea to a degree in the in the sense that it's not based on an already. It wasn't based on another uh, on another media property as such, and people didn't really come out to support it. So you're <clears throat> so. On the one hand, you have the argument of people saying, well, you know, we, we want original movies, not all these sequels and prequels and, <coughs> excuse me, sequels, prequels, reboots, etc. Yet, when you're presented with 
a with an original motion picture that isn't destruction porn, see our next review, San Andreas, uh, people don't come out to the movie. So if you're a movie studio, what to do? You certainly don't want to keep investing in big budget original motion pictures. Excuse me. If you die on this podcast, I'm going to be annoyed. (laughs) Uh, This would only be fair considering my wife hacked her way through a podcast she wasn't even on last night. If that ever gets up, um, our, our recording okay. of the casual. He's the reason the casual heroes went down. I'm not saying it's not. Uh, she's not. <laughs> In any case, um, <laughs> if you're a movie studio, there's almost no point in going with original motion pictures uh, with with a big budget. And I mean, my Mark hacking and my dog deciding it needs to have a seizure. Okay, so so jump in here, Robert. I think you know. I think there's a legitimate question to be asked: is what is you know why should movie studios invest in big budget original ideas when people won't come out to see them? And I and I'll, and I'll start you off with the few people that commented on my Facebook page about this all side of the same thing: movies are expensive, budgets are slim. They're only going to see the things that they really want to see, and those are typically comic book fair, big budget. <clears throat> Uh, big budget pre-owned, uh, pre-owned property type things. Well, there's a couple of things that are going on here. Now, one of them is, yes, a movie, look, Tomorrowland, again, $200 million by and large, probably plus that after you factor in the advertising budget. Now, that's the gross domestic product of Central America. That's a chunk of change to invest. You, as a studio, have to be relatively secure in a return on that investment. And you have a history of, again, Furious 7 has done over a billion dollars on an investment of 170-some-odd, if memory serves. Why would you then, why would you take $170 million and give it to, again, Brad Bird, Say, here, make an original movie, and he flops with it. It's not good financial business at this point. And I can't fault most studios for deciding that, well, we are a business. We need to make money. People will spend money on another Marvel movie. Or, hey, look, there's you know all of these DC movies that are theoretically coming out. Or again, Fast and the Furious gets another movie. I can't blame them for it. Their job is to make money. And if that's the way the winds are a-blowing, that's the way they have to blow, if you don't mind me paraphrasing Mayor Quimby. Now, the other issue is, this deals with that as well, movies are expensive to go to. I mean, I don't know about you, Speaking of, when you go see a movie, Mark, you know, you usually go prime time and whatnot. How much does it cost you to go to the movies when it's all said and done? I think the average ticket's costing me about 15 bucks these days because I pre-order them through the app. Okay, so now, again, that's not cheap. I mean, it's you, you might, everyone out there, oh, it's, you're not breaking the bank with it, but you know, that's a that's an investment of time and money, and you, as the consumer, need to be sure more well, or less you that you're going to enjoy it. This, you know, we I have chosen to 
you know, make my thing that I do is go to these movies to see these big budget uh, events and then talk about them on a podcast. <clears throat> this is an expensive hobby. I mean, we saw four movies in the month of May at fifteen dollars a pop. That's not, you know, that's the, <laughs> that's not a small amount of money I'm throwing away, especially on a budget with a wife and two kids. No, I mean, yeah, and. You know, I do everything I can to minimize it. I don't buy anything while I'm at the theater. I don't buy concessions. I go as early as humanly possible. But it's, again, it's money. And it's, you know, we have a finite amount of money for you know, a month. What are you going to go spend it on? Are you going to go spend it on Furious 7, which, you know, if you like that franchise, you know what you're getting into. And if you've enjoyed it, there's a 98% chance you're going to enjoy it unless they make one that really, really sucks, a la two or three. And unless that happens, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to get your money's worth. If I'm being perfectly honest, I walked out of Tomorrowland and went, I want my money back. You know, I actually <laughs> did not feel satisfied for the amount of money I spent on it. Now, the notion that people don't go see original concepts is somewhat – it's not completely true. They're just really careful about it. I mean, like, two of the best, you know, uh, for want of a better phrase, you know, uh, unique movies, new ideas, uh, Inception and Interstellar, both financially very, very successful, very well-done movies The one of the big things there is, though, you have people attached to that who you trust. Again, I've never watched a bad Christopher Nolan movie. People can disagree with me about that. That's fine if you don't like them. I'm not going to debate what you like and what you don't like. That's stupid. I've never seen one that I haven't enjoyed and appreciated. And he, you know, and again, Dark Knight trilogy issues aside, and don't get me wrong, not perfect, but I've enjoyed all of them. His name carries a fair amount of heft. When he did Inception, you know, the big star at the time was Leonardo DiCaprio, another name that hasn't been attached to a, you know, flop or anything bad for quite a few years. And then it was McConaughey in the midst of his renaissance, plus Michael Caine and whatnot for Interstellar. And again, people, names, faces, people associate with either overall quality or a style that they particularly enjoy. Now... For Tomorrowland, you have George Clooney, whose track record is spotty, Brad Bird, whose track record is spotty, and it's based on you know a section of a Disney park. There's nothing about that movie that inspires trust from a consumer who's spending a chunk of change on it. If you want to invest in original ideas, you just have to make sure that you know the pe- it has to be of a, a you know a quality movie. Because a movie that's good will generally gain traction, and you need people associated with it that the general populace has trust in to receive value for their money. And I don't think you know, any fun. of that was at play here. Well, I think part of it. I think part of it was also the marketing of a movie. Oh um, God, now, the marketing for this was horrible. Well, I mean, the, the the commercial essentially, if you look at the you know in terms of the trailers, was the sequence in the house with George Clooney when they were running from the killer robots. And you wouldn't, and here's the thing, like you had a couple of, you know, of the, uh, the flash moments where she touches the pen and, you know, and, and sees Tomorrowland from a distance. 
And so the intrigue here between both sets of images is what is Tomorrowland? Where is Tomorrowland? What what is you know? I want to go to this movie and see Tomorrowland. And if you went to that movie to see Tomorrowland, you got ripped off. <laughs> you instead you got to see you know Oz after after uh, the Wicked Witch had taken over and killed you know and and killed uh, all the inhabitants. I mean, did, did that movie, that story is exponentially more interesting than this one? But I mean, I mean, did did Tomorrowland look at, at all interesting to you? I didn't think anyone was left there anymore. Like, no, I thought it was me, again evil Hugh Laurie and an army of robots. Yeah, I, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I thought this was supposed to be. I mean, you're telling me that, that so you shut the door and you didn't let anyone back in, but you're telling me the people that live there just let it fall to crap. Like that didn't uh, make any sense to me. Yeah, again, you can explain it, but the movie should have. <laughs> so I just want to, um, I want to end uh, the, I mean, you're hosting here, but I kind of want to end the discussion just by sharing some figures. John Carter, which came out in 2012, the budget was $263.7 million. The box office, $284.1 million. It barely made over its budget. Which is a financial loss. For those of you who don't know this, a movie has to double its budget to be financially successful. That's the point when you're in the black. It's not okay. just making the budget back. You have to, again, pretty much double your budget if you want to be a legitimate financial success. So 2013's The Lone Ranger, which was you know two hours of getting to the only part of the movie that was any good, which is you know when they play... Uh, the name of the, the classical piece. Um, William Tell Overture. There we go. The William Tell Overture over the big over the big train action sequence. Um, again, if you ever, you don't need to watch the other two hours of the movie. Just watch the end. Uh, it's kind of kind of like the Road Warrior. Um, eh? Budget two hundred twenty-five. I severely million. disagree with your stance on the Road Warrior, but make your point <laughs> about this. <laughs> um, the budget two hundred twenty-five million. Box office two hundred and sixty million point five. A little um, better than John. Substantial loser. And so Tomorrowland, where we stand once again. And granted, the movie only came out last weekend. One hundred ninety million. So at least they spent less. Seventy. God. Seventy-four point seven million. We'll see where where it lands when it's all told. But uh, yeah. I, I, there, there might be, I mean, and let's look at its competition. Its competition was Poltergeist and Pitch Perfect 2. Well, its opening competition was Poltergeist and Pitch Perfect 2, uh, both of which suck, by the way, for anyone who's interested. <laughs> Seriously, I don't need to see the Poltergeist remake. First of all, let's get that out of the way, and... Pitch Perfect 2, its quality was not going to exceed the original. The original's quality is not that good. It just appeals to, you know, young teenagers who want to see people sing. And fine, and my wife. go make money. Don't Go make money, be happy, don't tell me it's good. It appeals to my wife. Okay. Let her go <laughs> see it, let her contribute to the budget. I, I'm not insulting anyone who likes these movies. My only point is... Uh, don't tell me something is objectively good just because you like it. 
because that that's those two things are not necessarily inclusive. But again, as far as opening competition, yes, that was your competition. You still have the Age of Ultron in theaters. You still have Mad Max in theaters. You've got The Rock coming out next week. This was, again, there is stacked competition for this movie. It was poorly timed with its release. I mean, look, John Carter was always going to lose money. That production budget wound up actually something like doubling uh, about halfway through it because they wound up reshooting a bunch of stuff. I think they recast the lead. I mean, uh, the production troubles of John Carter, people will write about in the future. Okay, that's how bad it was. But everyone knew going into it that was a money loser. I want to, there's another article I wanted to share if I can find the one from CNN. Um, uh, I mean, clearly not news. I'll go go with Showbiz 411. Box office, worst Memorial Day take since 2001 as Tomorrowland bodes uh, ill for the future. Well, it's a rough... uh, Memorial Day is always a rough opening because everyone wants it. It's a three-day weekend. You know, those do very well. People go to the the beach or whatever. So you really have to come up with... um, (laughs) Wait, fun fact. Tomorrowland is the 44th highest-ranking number one movie for Memorial Day in history. It ranks between Dinosaur... 2000 and Beverly Hills Cop 2 in 1987. Ugh. So. I don't have a whole lot there. Plugs? Uh, yeah, other than real briefly, to sum up our thoughts on uh, Tomorrowland, it's not good. It has a decent kind of underlying theme of, you know, a hopeful outlook on life, which is fine and refreshing considering the amount of depressing stuff that we're being bombarded with, but it falls apart. It really does. There's almost nothing good I can say about it outside of, hey, look, it's hopeful, and that's different. If you've got kids, maybe kids above the age of, like, five. um, But did you see that, though? Here's the funny thing about that. This is a movie that should theoretically be aimed at people, you know, five or six to 13, by and large. Right. Right. Sure. Something like 61% of the audience was over 60. Well, maybe that's why it's not doing well. Um, well, that's, well I, George Clooney's fans tend to be older. But, yeah, you know, like it's supposed to be aimed at kids, but the people going to see it are the old folks. Well, I'll tell you what. I wanted to bring my daughter to this, uh, as I wanted to bring my daughter to a number of different movies, and my wife keeps overruling me, saying, she's four, you fucking idiot. You know, she, she, she can only handle so much. And to my wife's credit, my daughter did fall asleep during the age of Ultron after two trips to the bathroom. So I'm not going to say she's wrong. I'm still bringing her to Star Wars. That's besides the point. Um, You and your generation of Star Wars fanatics want to turn it into another cultural event. um, And J.J. Abrams is going to defecate all over the sleeping quarters. If you don't pass on religion, it dies. Anyway... Um, so I, I think if my daughter had been maybe five or six, I might have chanced bringing her to this because I think she, first of all, she's not going to deconstruct it the way two grown men who are steeped in, in movie craft are going to deconstruct it. Um, so that, that's what we do with this podcast. That's why I started, the, started doing it was to, you know, to deconstruct big summer blockbuster movies. 
you know, and talk about them and, and, you know, and sort of discuss what, what's going on with these things. But most people, especially kids, are not going to take the time, nor are they going to have the cognitive ability to deconstruct something. It's going to be a very, it's, it's going to be a very visual, uh, visual happening. They're going to, you know, they're going to see the girl. They're going to hear what she's saying. They're going to watch the chases. They're going to appreciate the visuals, and hopefully they'll come away with the idea of, you know, which is what the child should. Children should not lose hope. <laughs> Children should not become what I became oh, as a child. With you, you could not go, You could not have this movie tell the truth, which is that Hugh Laurie's dialogue at the end there, his you know evil monologue, is more truth than fiction. Get you off. can't have kids know that. You know. Did, hey, hang well, on. Say, you can. No, no, no. I'm agreeing with you. But when he was going through the whole thing of you know, like I tried to get, I tried to show them truth, and they, you know, I, so that they would turn from from the dark path and try to fix the world, and they embraced it, they turned it into video games. Did you not have a moment of, give us hell, you lordy, <laughs> smash our heads? I totally was, but I was like, yeah, man, we suck. No, he was, again, I'm, I like my things darker, and I'm a bit of a pessimist for a variety of reasons. And Hugh Laurie's speech there, I thought, yep, he's right. <laughs> you are correct, sir. You suck. You win but, one shiny uh, nickel. Here you go. You're right. Good job. I get up and I go to work every day to give my children a better opportunity at life than I did. This is why my children are not allowed to embrace the arts and will either go into engineering or high-stakes sports. That's it. Those are their choices. Okay. Yeah, you want your son to develop you know, CTE and wind up dead before you are. Uh, along the way, he's going to be very rich and very famous. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. He, unless he unless he grows to be very tall, I'm starting to reconsider my whole putting my son in high stakes sports thing. I think he's going to turn out to be like his old man, a bit on the short side. But uh, meanwhile, his sister, fucking Fundera, is you know like the tallest kid in her peer group. <laughs> but that's this is not the Marx Family podcast. My point is. I go to work every day, and I do, and I work, you know, as hard as I do, so that my children can have a better, better life than I did. That is my whole reason for getting up in the morning. If not for my children, there would be no other reason. Um, and I, and I, and I think about this movie in the same way that I feel like this movie is benefit, it would be benefit, beneficial for kids in that it, it does point to a little corner of our society that says hope is a good thing, and that the future can be better. And, well, maybe, you know, they look at something in this movie and they, too, will be inspired. For the rest of you, just cynical so nice if the movie didn't suck? Well, that, listen, have you watched Kate and Min Min? Don't you Sorry. talk to me about... <laughs> don't you talk oh, to me about... What is that? I, I have no idea what that is. You don't need to know what a Kate and Min Min is. Just, just okay. you, you're better off. You are better off not knowing what a Kate and Min Min is. Okay. I'll take your word just, for it. Just know it's a Disney Junior show, and as much as I praise Disney Junior for really coming up with some nice content for children, Kate and Min Min has made me want to throw fucking shoes at the television. Alrighty. And my daughter loves it. That's the worst part. Well, I continue to wait for the future. <laughs> um, but my point is, you know, for the rest of you cynical fuckers out there, especially for those of you who do take the time to deconstruct film, you might as well skip this one. It ain't worth it. No, it is not. Uh, again, if you want 
a sort of fun, hopeful look on the future and things along that line, go for it. If you think you'll enjoy it, you might. Just be aware, this is a deeply, deeply flawed on very fundamental levels type of movie. Agreed. And on that note, speaking of, you know, flawed, we have The Rock next week. <laughs> Destruction It's funny because the, oh, the Rock is pretty much without flaw. So do you know what gonzo porn is? No, I know what you're referencing. And, uh, you know, I'm prepared. I, I'm hopeful that I will be able to enjoy San Andreas. Because I've got a soft spot for big-budget disaster movies. I paid to see 2012, ladies and gentlemen. It was very I. good. I actually I, liked The Day After Tomorrow, though. I have seen, I think, almost every like big-budget disaster movie in the theaters. I saw Deep Impact... I saw, I can, I'll be a man and, and tell you that I cried at the end of Armageddon. Oh, and yeah. Ben Affleck says, Ditto. I love you, Harry. <laughs> I can't take it. No, no, I'm I'm with you there. I was yeah, I was a kid when I saw Armageddon. And, you know, when you're a kid, you don't necessarily recognize how, you know, first of all, scientifically impossible that entire film is. It is the most scientifically inaccurate movie ever committed to television, ever committed to film. He but, you know, you enjoy dementia. it. He had, Steve Buscemi has space dementia. Yeah, at least one of his teeth did, and that was the one in business for itself at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm very much willing to walk into this movie expecting gonzo destruction porn. And if it actually has a plot, I will, you know, will you slap my ass and call me Spanky. And again, I'm hopeful that this will be at least enjoyable. That's pretty much all I'm asking out of this movie. Don't insult my intelligence. Don't beat me over the head with bad CGI. And if you're going to monkey with the science, at least keep it consistent and plausible. And that's really all I ask. I mean, again, I, again I'm a sucker for these movies. Uh, one of the first movies I ever recall... Not ever recall, but one of the early movie-going experiences I can recall is uh, I went to see Twister in the mid-90s when it came out. And I enjoyed oh, it. Oh, I saw that too. We've got cow. Yeah, and again, I enjoyed it. It's not, I'm not going to tell you it's all that good, but it's enjoyable for what it is. And that's... It had a better uh, plot than Tomorrowland. It, it, it plot, its plot was more sound, more solid, more consistent than Tomorrowland. Yes, it was. Uh, God, the only, and again, it just goes to show you that, first of all, for a big-budget disaster movie to suck, it has to really suck, and I'm looking at you into the storm. Oh, found footage. That'll work. No. No, it won't. All right, so, be, so come anyway. back to this next, next Wednesday. I promise not to eat during the next podcast. I swear to you. No more, no uh, more coffee. <laughs> no more coffee. Oh, I'm... For everyone listening, I'm laying odds two and a half to one against Mark following through with that. I'm not. I'm not promising to wear pants. I'm not wearing pants now. I don't intend to wear pants uh, on pants the next are podcast. Awful. Pants are the worst. <laughs> but I. But I promise no more snacking during the podcast. That worked out poorly this time around. Thankfully, it was only tomorrow and um, <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow night. Speaking of uh, podcasts that I tend not, that I tend to make bad sounds during. Uh, like snoring. Um, Metal Hammer of Doom will be uh, live at 10.30 at night, 
and we'll be reviewing the new Faith No More. Oh, God. <laughs> what, what I do, what I do to, to try to create, you know, uh, consistent quality original content. Yeah, I felt obligated. You know, Faith No More, first album in like nine years or some shit. Uh, people really enjoy Faith No More. I felt obligated to to review the album, and now I feel like I'm doing homework. Uh, it's a metal band. It should feel like the opposite of doing homework. No, it's a it's not a metal band. <laughs> they're, they're they're not metal at all. Uh, and B, I haven't listened to Faith No More consciously. I think ever. They're just rock, you know. They're very and not not you know. If I say alternative rock, I don't mean like you know what people used to call Nirvana. I mean literally like if they're just an alternative to anything else. They're very odd. So all right, go into your plugs. Well, I will have Everyone Loves a Bad Guy this Friday. I'm thinking about, you know, in honor of The Rock's new big-budget disaster movie, doing, a, you know, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, focusing on some of the best natural disasters committed to film, uh, television, and whatnot, and also just kind of examining the fact that disaster movies don't, you know, they tend not to have villains in them because you've got, you know, again, destruction, the Earth being pissed off at you is basically the villain there, so... I think just to kind of synergize with The Rock's new movie, I'll take a look at that. Or I'll fire up uh, the old roulette wheel of actors known for their villainous roles and spin that and see who we come up with. It's one of those two things right now. Because uh, I don't think I have to synergize with anything until, what, Ant-Man? Or is the Fantastic Four before that? I'm not terribly looking forward to either of those. Uh, the next the next themed week here on the Rattle Broadcasting Network is uh, Terminator. Okay. I think I already did Terminator. You're, you're revisiting did. it. I'll revisit it, sure. Yeah, that was one of the first <laughs> ones I did, actually. You were on it. That's right. That's right. I don't think we ever did the second half of that. We didn't. So I can finally get around to that. <laughs> there you go. We looked at... Then I can I also we talk about studios screwing with that movie franchise. That's the biggest villain <laughs> right there. I think the very first, like, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy was we looked at Schwarzenegger as the Terminator, and then there was going to be a part two. No, no, we looked at Robert Patrick as the Terminator, and then we were going to do Schwarzenegger, and then uh, never got around to it. Okay. Well, look, uh, you guys finally game. wrapped up Rocky over on the Long Road to Ruin. I suppose I should uh, finish up Terminator. Yeah, now the, only, now the only unfinished Long Road to Ruin that I haven't done is uh, Lethal Weapon, because I ran out of time. Um, speaking of which, Long Road to Ruin next week. So we have our San Andreas review on Wednesday and on Thursday. Um, Sean Comer and I will be looking at the first three Jack Ryan uh, in, in terms of the you know, first three that came out chronologically, not you know, not Jack Ryan's age. Um, but the first three Jack Ryan movies, uh, The Clear and Present Danger, The Hunt for Red October, and Patriot Games. Uh, we'll look at those came three. out first. I wasn't saying them in order. Um, so we'll look at those three movies, and then two weeks after that, we'll look at the shitty ones, uh, The Sum of All Fears and uh, Shadow Recruit. Hey, look, Ben Affleck. That won't go badly. And oh, look, Chris no. Pine. People like Chris Pine. Let's throw him in this with uh, What's-Her-Face from 
Pirates of the Caribbean, and oh, hey, look, Kevin Costner. People remember him, right? You know, just as an aside, I don't, I don't want this to go too much longer, but when they announced Ben Affleck as Batman and the world, you know, freaked out, people were like, oh, well, it's not his fault, Daredevil sucked. Did people look at the other Ben Affleck films, all, you know, the ones that pretty much led to him having to leave the, leave, uh, the screen for a while and go into directing in order to build himself back up again? I mean, am I the only one that remembers he made a slew of movies that sucked? No, because I remember... Look, Daredevil was not Ben Affleck's worst movie, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to open up the Pandora's box of movies featuring Ben Affleck on screen in a leading role, do so at your own peril. There's a lot of crap. Yes, there and, is. So, and I, that I think... was more my issue with him as Batman. Everyone who brought up Daredevil, like, okay, fine. Daredevil wasn't completely his fault, partially. How about Some of All Fears? What? I don't remember that movie. Exactly. What about Company Men? Huh? Never heard of it. Exactly. What's the uh, Reindeer Games? Paycheck. Yeah. Again, we can do this all day. I knew what I was talking about when I said this this is the worst thing that ever happened to film. Ben Affleck as Batman. But, hey, we're stuck with it. I can't wait for next March. Can you wait for next March? I can't wait for next March. Never mind Star Wars. Never never mind uh, Peter Pan and all the other movies coming out this year. Next March, we're going to be opening up uh, the summer blockbuster, or rather the uh, the 2016 blockbuster season with fucking Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Oh, and you and I are going to have a party. I, I might have to come to Utah to buy you a virgin drink. I am going to watch that movie. I am 90% sure I'm going to hate it, based on everything I've seen so far. I'm and then I get to come on here and rant about it. I'm 90% certain you're going to burn the theater down in effigy. Eh, that's too much effort. I mean, I have to really be angry at it if I'm going to actually take arsonistic action. And I don't no. care enough about Ben Affleck to actually decide to commit a felony. <laughs> okay. Take us home, Robert Winfrey. All right. You've heard our plugs. You've heard. Uh, be sure to check us out. You can follow us on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, and whatnot. You can subscribe. You can give us a rating. You can leave us comments, critiques, criticisms, words of support, so on and so forth. We appreciate it. Also, this coming Sunday, I forgot to plug it, the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show. We'll be reviewing UFC Fight Night, what, 67, I want to say? Uh, Condit versus Alves, and we'll be previewing whatever one comes after that. Uh, the, one after that show. Is, the one after that is Henderson versus Boach. Ask me how I know that. Because you listen to the show? Oh, God, no. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's being held birthday, in Tampa? No, it's being held at the Smoothie King Center in Louisiana. Ask me how oh, I know yeah. that. How do you know that, Mark? Because it's the same week as my birthday. Okay, then. As a matter of fact, that's what I'm thinking about it. Next uh, next week, June 3rd? Next Wednesday? Yeah. It'll be the day after my birthday. My birthday is next Tuesday. Uh, cool. Well, happy birthday Funny. in advance, and you and I get to talk about The Rock and disaster porn to celebrate the after party. That's right. This is, I can think of no other way, no better way to spend my birthday 
other than what I'm already doing for my birthday. Ask me what I'm doing for my birthday. Oh, what are you doing for your birthday? I'm getting rid of my children for a weekend, um, like you do. And uh, my wife is taking me to Disney. Coming to town. Yuck. Um, (laughs) Cross emotional jokes. My children will be with my in-laws, and my wife and I are going to Disney like we do, and we are going to a Cajun restaurant that uh, is at the Port Orleans Hotel on Disney property. And then the next day, I'm doing a, I'm doing a Star Wars brunch. Eh? Star Wars brunch. I'm 39. Uh, does that mean you'll be 40? No, I won't be 40 until next year. Okay. So you'll be celebrating turning 39 with your last bits of youth, and then you get to, when you turn 40, you have to watch that terrible movie starring Paul Rudd. That ain't going to happen. I actually like my wife and kids. I'm just saying. There are things you have to do when you hit that milestone. Well, I know what I have to do right now is i got to hit the button, so take us home. All right, everybody. For Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey, reminding you all to be well, be safe, and behave, and enjoy, in a bit of uh, twisted irony, hail the apocalypse.